0: Well, welcome again to Trinity. We're glad that you're with us here in person or those that are with us online. What a joy and privilege it is to be able to gather together. Uh, I just wanted to encourage you. We have our November Church Around the World um, uh, newsletter that uh, is out on the tables that you can grab on the way out. It's a perfect little thing to slip into your Bible. Uh, You can read a little snippet here and there and take a moment over the course of your week to maybe pray for... Our brothers and sisters in the faith in different parts of the world facing very unique and different challenges than the ones that we face here. It's good to expand our heads and hearts out of our immediate context to see that God's people are facing all sorts of challenges in the world. And we can be good brothers and sisters in them and pray for them. So I encourage you to grab one for November on the way out uh, this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. We are going to be looking at verses 11 through 22. We finish off this chapter. We're going to be considering quite a bit together, and so let's dive into it and hopefully be greatly encouraged by the words we read here. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God, we pray that you would help us take in your word this morning, that our hearts would receive it, and believe it, and trust it. Oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up in the 1980s, there were three distinct moments of Ronald Reagan that I remember as a kid. The first being his assassination attempt, The second was his speech following the Space Shuttle Challenger's explosion. And the third was probably his most famous words on June 12, 1987. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall captures a historical moment and has really echoed ever since. That wall represented a threat, a hostility, a need for peace. And that wall coming down brought life and freedom and hope to so many. Walls divide. Walls block off. They separate. And greater than the Berlin Wall, is the wall that is brought on by our sin. And in today's passage, we see these greater walls come down by means of the gospel. And this gospel brings about something new in its place, brings about a new community. And so our hope is to embrace this. New gospel community that we see part of God's redemptive plan and that it would encourage our hearts. Specifically, I hope that we're encouraged to see, first of all, that we are brought near together, that in this new gospel community, we are brought near together. And then, secondly, that we see that the ongoing work is going to be one that builds us up together, that we are built up together. Let's consider that this morning. First, brought near together. We are brought near in Christ. That we are brought near in Christ. Look again at 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without god in the world but now in christ jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of christ we see two things here a far out far out a far off reality and a brought near redemption we need to understand and feel this far off reality it's first of all said that we are separated from Christ. Specifically, Gentiles did not have any belief system that promised a Christ or Messiah. A Gentile was somebody who did not grow up with a Jewish heritage and tradition. So basically anyone not Jewish. They didn't grow up with this promised Christ or Messiah. They weren't looking for someone to save them because they lived in a culture shaped by a pleased many gods. So it was really on them to do enough to please the many gods. Well, certainly many of the specifics are different. Today's culture shares some similarities. Think about it. We live in a day and age where it is increasingly becoming more real that there have been plenty of people who have never set foot in a church building. Not for a wedding, not for a funeral. Those don't happen in churches anymore. Never sat in foot in a church building, let alone open a Bible. Or have a very distinct conversation about what the Bible says with a Christian. In our culture, that is happening with greater uh, numbers. Each year that passes, more and more people would say, I've never ever once really had a conversation at all about anything that a Christian believes. Just what they see on the news. So they are separated from Christ. Far off reality also means they're alienated from God's people. God's people represented the context where the promise of redemption was proclaimed. To be separated from God's people was to be outside this covenant of promise. God was unfolding his plan of redemption and those who are outside of the place where you got to hear that plan unfold had no reason to thirdly have hope. They were without hope. A far off reality is separated from Christ, alienated from God's people, and to be without hope. A devastating reality of life outside of Christ is that it's a hopeless one. It is devoid or absent of hope, of ultimate hope. This means to be far off is to have no real tangible way of making sense of life or death. Hopeless. Far-off reality, separated from Christ, alienated from God's people, without hope, and then lastly, most devastatingly. The reason why all of that is there is because they are without God. This separated from Christ, alienated from God's people, without hope ultimately means living without God. No saving relationship with God, and to be without God means you are enslaved to something else. It means you are following after something else that is going to let you down. It could be pleasures, it could be possessions, it could be comfort, it could be power. Ultimately, they will let you down. and this picture, this far off reality, is devastating, and yet, in the midst of this. Paul is writing, and he gives them a command. In fact, it's the only command that you will find in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are talking about the gospel doctrine of the faith. But there is one command in the midst of those three chapters, and that is this, remember. Something that we just were able to do together at communion, to remember together. God wants us to remember who He is and what He has done and what that means for us now. Remembering is an integral part of our faith because to lose sight of the reality that we were once far off but now have been brought near would be to, to really just to deaden our, our faith, to give our faith a lower ceiling, if you will. To not think big hope giving, joy-producing thoughts and wonder and worship on God. That when we go about remembering, we're not just saying words in some sort of rote religious performance that we check off But that we're remembering that we were without hope and without God, but God, in His grace and mercy, brought us to Him, made us alive together in Him with Christ Jesus, has now placed us once far off, now seated us in the heavenlies with Christ. Remembering this is integral to our faith, it it keeps our, our hearts. Tuned to the God of all grace. Helps keep our, our faith fresh and and to have an accurate view of life following after Christ. A call to remember. For some of us in here, we might currently be far off, and so it's not so much a call to remember, it's a call for you to respond. That you would respond to all that God has done for you in Christ through faith, trusting that Jesus' life lived for you, his death committed for you, his resurrection over the tomb and over death and over sin, that you would see in Christ your only means, your only hope of salvation. You would place your faith, your trust in him. For those of you who have done that, I, I would just implore and beg and encourage you to take seriously the call to remember these things. To remember the far-off reality, but also to remember the brought-near redemption. The brought-near redemption. That we who were once far-off were brought near. That brought-near, that's that's written in a way that says you didn't do anything about it. (laughs) This was done to you. You were brought near. God in His grace, His gracious initiative, brings you near through His redeeming work. And it really mirrors what Ryan Focused on last week, the but now in Christ mirrors the but God of verse four earlier in this chapter. The dramatic change of being far off now brought near is holy, is only and wholly a work of a gracious God, revealing to us the tremendous nature of God's character. As we think and as we remember together, it's not only that we're remembering what we've been rescued from, but we're remembering the one who did all of the rescuing. And how did he do that? By means of Christ's blood. By means of Christ's blood. Blood pays the cost to bring those of us who are far off near. Doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile, it required this blood to bring you near. Blood makes you right with God. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, we see this. Hebrews is a letter written to those who grew up with the Jewish tradition and faith. And it was a, it's a letter written to say, don't go back to that. All that it was pointing to is now here and in Christ and he's sufficient. You don't have to go back. And so Hebrews nine twenty-two says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The blood pays the cost to bring us near. To Bring us near. Not your blood, but the blood of the second person of the Trinity who took on our humanity and lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we deserve. That blood brings you, who were once far off near. It is an incredible reversal of fortune. A remarkable reversal of fortunes. To be far off and without anything, without any hope, without God, Nothing. To have no basis, to have any sort of hope in life. That anything substantial would come after life. What a tremendous reversal. The encouragement that I want all of us to wrestle with is this. There is no far off that is too far off. There is no far off. No matter what you think or evaluate, you're far off. There's no far off that's too far off. Sin will drift you off to deserted islands of spiritual death. You will be off the radar, laid waste in your blindness and hopelessness. But God, and only God, can find you out. Can find you out in the middle of an ocean of your spiritual death. And rescue you. No f- far off is too far off. Let that encouragement speaks to you this day. As you feel your own far offness. Or you know how far off you once were. And those lingering lurking issues of doubt. That sort of wrap around your head or your heart. Take seriously then. The joy and privilege to remember, to remember, you who were once far off were brought near by the gracious initiative of God, by means of the blood of the Son. Remember, we are also, in our passage, not only are we brought near. Um, in Christ, that we are brought near as one. That we are brought near as one. Look again in verses 14 through 18. There's more that God is doing. It's remarkable. In 14 through 18, For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off. And peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Remarkable passage. We see here the walls of hostility. First we've noticed that there are the wall, there's a wall that stands between God and sinners. And to understand that wall we need to understand the law. The law is God's standard. No one can scale the wall of God's law and enjoy the land of freedom on the other side. No one can do it. No one is skilled enough to scale the wall to get to the freedom on the other side. We all break before this wall. We're separated from God because we can't meet the standard by which we need to meet in order to be with God on our own. We can't do it. We cannot scale it. We do not have the ability to do it. This means whether we're near, far, far, everyone has a dividing wall between them and God. Secondly, we see that there's there's a wall that stands between sinners themselves. This is very important. When there is separation from God, ultimately there will be mistreatment of each other. When we are separated from God, we will go about mistreating each other. Specifically, we find in our passage that relationship between Jews and Gentiles there was a sharp divide, a significant wall between the two. And when Paul was speaking to them in Ephesians 2, he had in mind the ceremonial law, that there was a law, this cleanliness, the purity function of the law, and that Jews were purity, were were clean, and Gentiles were not. This was the aspect of the law that sharply divided the Jews and Gentiles. Jews, again, were ritualistically clean, Gentiles were inherently dirty. So just imagine, if you would, the socio-relational separation that comes with, I'm clean, and you're filthy. Imagine what that would have done over generation after generation. How many generations would harbor bitterness and, and anger and resentment over such a separation? The wall between God and sinners, and the wall between sinners themselves, are far too significant for us to be able to overcome on our own. And so the walls of hostility need to be walls broken down. They need to be torn down. And in our passage, the Apostle Paul is strongly conveying to them the means by which they are broken down. First, they are broken down by the cross. Through the death of Christ came the death of our hostile walls. There are two key expressions here, in the flesh and through the cross. In the flesh, meaning Jesus took on all what the law demanded and, and all that the walls of hostility represented. Jesus took it all on upon himself. He shouldered it all, all of its weight, all of its burden, all of its consequences, all of it. And he went to the cross with it. And then through the cross, he fulfills all that was demanded. With all that is in his flesh, he dealt with it permanently, fully, and with eternal finality at the cross. He paid for it all in full. He left it there, nailed to the cross, paid in full. And in so doing, brought about peace. Brought about peace. Peace bringing the end of conflict. And so think about our two walls, the walls between God and sinners and the walls among sinners. First of all, he brings peace with God. It is through Christ and Christ alone that we have peace with God, that we have no more conflict with God. That all of the conflict has been cared for through the work of Christ. Therefore, our only hope of peace together is found in the same place. (coughs) Excuse me. Through the cross, we see grammatically this parallel in our passage. Through the cross, we see that we are made us both one in verse 14. And that through the cross, the work of the cross, that we are created one new man. Through the cross, we have broken down the dividing wall of hostility in verse 14. In verse 16, reconcile us both to God in one body. And at the cross, the law and its demands were abolished. And at the cross, the killing of the hostility is accomplished. Two broken groups are now made into one. And this one new group has peace with God and with each other. Staggering sufficiency of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection brings about our only means, our only hope of peace with God and with each other. And as we see, we are brought near together. We are brought near together to God. We're brought near together with each other. And as we are brought near together, we then find in our passage and through the work, this new gospel community experiences not only being brought near together, but also to be built up together. That we are experiencing the continuing, overflowing nature of God's grace. That not only rescues us from far off, not only brings us right with God, not only brings about peace together, but then builds us up together following after something brand new. What we find here is that we are built up together into, first, a new identity. Look at verse 19. Into a new identity. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So then, you are no longer. You are among the no longers. God's brought you into something new, something great, something glorious, something that will last forever. It is a permanent change in position. You are no longer far off. Or to even go earlier in our passage, you are no longer the walking dead. You have been made alive. You are no longer far off. You have been brought brought near. You're no longer an orphan, alienated from God's people. You are now among God's very household. You are no longer. Once we were strangers, unknown, unaware to God and His promises of redemption, but now you are part of His family. You are no longer you are now fellow citizens with the saints. Citizens, that's an incredibly important word. It's incredibly personal. Citizenship set your identity and shaped your values. Citizenship also carried with it perks. Especially in Paul's day. Think of Paul who also had Roman citizenship. How many unfortunate situations, how many binds, how many beatings did he get out of because of his Roman citizenship? To most in this era, citizenship meant everything to their way of life. Now for those who trust in Christ, our citizenship is no longer based in separation, but now is in a new identity. Paul famously says elsewhere in Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have... New citizenship giving us new values that will mark our lives. We're no longer far off, but now citizens. No longer far off, but now also members of the household of God. Citizenship speaks of something that is official and political, if you will. Members of God's household is a picture of family. In Paul's day, belonging to a household provided a number of incredible things. Think of this in light of someone who is spiritually far off. In Paul's day, belonging to a household provided a refuge of protection. Belonging to a household was a refuge of protection. It also provided a storehouse of provision. You were able to receive much from the household. And in Paul's day, belonging to a household provided a sense of belonging. A sense of belonging. Think of being spiritually adrift, tossed to and fro, chased after, battered by the many different options that would have existed in Paul's day or in our day. Think of the turmoil that it produces in us to chase after something only to abandon it, to chase after something else only to abandon it, to chase after something else. And yet in the midst of all of that, we're longing. For the very things that God has graciously provided in this household. We're longing for protection and provision and belonging. God brings it to us by the work of Christ. We are being built up together into a new identity. I love John one twelve. It says it to us straight. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that is Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. The right to protection, the right to provision, the right to belonging. The angst, the longings of our hearts are found, can be filled, and, and, and we find that here in the redeeming work of Christ. In the context of God's people being built together into a new identity. Secondly, we see that we're built together into a new community. A new community. Look at verses 20 through 22. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit this new community is given a visual of a new building we're being built up into a new building and a building it, it a building sort of shows off the, the the architecture and and the and the the firm that not only designed it but built it and here the building of the church the new community of God's redeemed people this new gospel community are showing off the gracious design and power of god we find a foundation makes sense right build something you want a solid foundation the apostles and prophets refers to the formative days of the early church these are the men specifically called and equipped to speak authoritatively powerfully the gospel message to all people but it also refers to the scriptures themselves in which the purpose and plan of God unfolds, culminating in Jesus, where our foundation is set in the Word of God, that culminates in the person and work of Christ. I love Acts 6:7 that says, summarizing what was happening in and through the church as it grew and expanded out. It says, "And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This foundation is living and active and going forward through the church. We are being built up together in this. And any good foundation would have, in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, the day of the Bible, a cornerstone. A cornerstone. The cornerstone was the first thing set when laying the foundation of a building. It determined the line of the foundation. If the cornerstone was off, the foundation would be off and no building would be built. And here we find that Christ is the cornerstone. He sets the line. He is the centering stone. He is what we are being built upon and built up together in. Isaiah 28 verses 16 and 17 says that we find here that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of. God speaking he says, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious stone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. Christ is the fulfillment of this. Christ is the cornerstone on which this foundation is built. Not only is he the cornerstone, but he's also the builder. The builder. So we have a foundation, we have a cornerstone, and in this passage, we have a builder. Christ, by the power of the Spirit, is the builder. It is in Christ that this is happening. This work is being done to us. We are recipients of the joining together and building up work of the builder. Being joined together means we are united to the cornerstone. We belong to his building. And we are being united to each other. As bricks are united to the building as a whole. And we're being built up together. This building is still under construction. The community is being built up toward something. Greater Christ-likeness. Reflecting more and more of the cornerstone. And we're being built up into something. In that there are more and more people coming to know this Savior. It's important to take all that in and to see That our being built up together means we play a vitally important role in each other's lives. Our presence together in corporate worship. Our commitment together in membership. Our togetherness in life. All of that means something. We're saying that God is worth it. Christ is glorious and let's make much of him together. For each other's good. For the salvation of the lost and for the glory of God. And as we do that, as we experience this, as we see the gracious work of God in this new gospel community take greater shape in our lives, more people will come to know just how incredibly gracious and good God is. And we will come to know in deepening measure how sufficient His grace is for our lives. This tremendous chapter of Ephesians takes us from the walking dead to the dwelling place of God. What a, what a chapter. What a Savior. What a gospel. To go from walking dead to the dwelling place of God. There could be no more radical, extreme, comparable transformation to go from spiritual dead, far-off, wandering aliens, to citizens and members of God's household where God himself dwells. And all of this is possible because of Jesus. Friends, I may be accused of having one sermon in many ways I do. (laughs) I may stand in front of you week in and week out and preach to you the same singular bullet. But I will not offer, because I cannot offer you anything more saving, Anything more satisfying anything more sweet than what Christ has done for us. So let us pray to Him be the glory forever and ever. God, we ask that You would help us to see the grace, power on display here in Your Word, on display in the person and work of Christ who gathers up us far off people, brings us together to You with one another and build us up to reflect your goodness and grace in this world there are so many competing stories so many loud noises in our world God would you help us would you help the peace of our relationship with you the growing peace of our relationship together speak a louder word, a better word than the noise of our culture may that be compelling to those who are far off to want to know what in the world is going on here oh well, god would you help us to then also be encouraged in our own daily and weekly and monthly and yearly battle with sin to know that no sin is too much for you would you encourage us and strengthen us to then live seriously with great joy in this new community you've called us to and provided us with and may we do so with great hope knowing that you are at work even right now right now you are at work building this up may you may our lives reflect more and more of christ we pray in jesus name amen